0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with author Nick Bartell. Nick was born in Guelph, Ontario, where he lived for seven years before moving to Huntington, New York. After elementary school, Nick went on to attend Long Island Lutheran Middle and High School. He started writing in fifth grade, beginning to explore the world that would fully emerge in the kingdom of liars. After graduating from Long Island Lutheran High School, Nick attended Susquehanna University in Selensgrove, Pennsylvania. While attending, Nick was a head resident for Residence Life, a member of the Executive Board for Fraternity and Interfraternity Council, spent a semester abroad in France, and was a breaststroker for the varsity men's swim team after joining the team as they walk on his freshman year. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in creative writing and a minor in French. Since then, Nick has done a wide range of jobs that had nothing to do with his major. I mean, does anybody? In uh, university from a quality insurance tester for an engineering company in New York City to so a volunteer on an organic farm in Ireland. The Kingdom of Liars is his debut novel. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Martell.
1: Hey, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How are you doing?
1: oh you know not bad considering all the craziness going on it's kind of uh staying a lot indoors and looking longingly out out the window (laughs)
0: looking longingly at the birds who actually get to uh not distance
1: themselves (laughs) yeah you know i never knew i could be so jealous of birds before uh but even just like watching like the flowers bloom like it's like the part of like in pennsylvania where like it lasts for like three days the flowers are actually blooming and like I can't like see them or take advantage of them. It's
0: uh it's not the best, but right. getting through it. You just you just long you look out the window and like you've got your hand kind of pressed against it, like you see, you know, a lover down the yeah. street or
1: something. <laughs> uh, or I'm pretty much like a kind of like a sad puppy who wants to go play outdoors. Right,
0: right. Just kinda of pulling at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, nah, dude. I, I know I know exactly how you feel. It's you know, it's unfortunately it's like that everywhere and I, and I just looked at the I haven't really been i been trying to stay away from the news because all it is is just depressing news about COVID. But yeah. I think, uh, like, I think Alabama jumped like double its number of act uh, of positive tests like today. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then and they said like the, like the, uh, like the high mark is supposed to be like the twentieth of this month, and I don't think that's gonna be it. So.
1: It's, yeah, there's uh, a there's a lot of like uncertainty around it, but at least on the bright side, if more people are getting tested, it's kind of like like at least we have some kind of representation of the numbers. But yeah. I'm with you; like we're supposed to get the high soon. It's still kind of like, uh, is it really going to be the high soon, or is this going to last longer than we all kind of think?
0: Yeah, and you know we're seeing a lot of uh, you know kind of not really backlash, but people kind of like getting upset at the governors of different states for like not shutting the states down sooner because. And, and even then, like, like our uh, our governor shut Alabama down a couple of days ago. But, like, I st- like some of my neighbors are still having, like, block parties outside with their kids and stuff. And my wife and I are just looking at each other, you know, indoors, mug of coffee, just staring out through the windows, just going, <laughs> idiots. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Like, I, I think I was telling you, but, like, The the governor of PA just, I think, made it mandatory that we have to wear masks when coming outside, like to the point that you can't enter stores without it. Mm. That was like two days ago compared to like other places like California and New York where I think that's been in place for like weeks now. It's just – it's a lot of changing information. And that's on one hand hard to account for. But on the other hand like maybe you shouldn't be throwing block parties with all this stuff going on. Right,
0: right. And what what I don't understand is like you know, at the beginning of this whole thing – there was like a really big back and forth discussion about like whether masks were legitimate or not like needed. It's kind of like, you know, eggs are bad for you. Eggs are good for you. Milk's bad for you. It's Mm going to give you cancer kind of stuff. And like, now they're like, you need to wear masks, and nobody can find them. Yeah. Like they're all gone. (laughs) It's like, they all disappeared. It's kind of like hand sanitizer. It just all disappeared.
1: Exactly. And that's actually a huge problem. Um, My girlfriend works in a, a veterinary clinic and they're actually having to take measures where they're actually cutting back what they're actually allowed to do to make sure the hospitals are getting more of these like masks and gloves and things that they need. So they're pretty much just on like an emergency or like mandatory case by case basis. And they're still full up with appointments every day because some of the clinics in the area have closed. And then they have stuff where like uh, you don't really need to get dental right now. So come maybe come back in like three weeks or so. And it's, it's bizarre. It's crazy. And then you go to like a supermarket looking for toilet paper and, you know, it's still missing everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know what, you know, what's coming next. But yeah, it's just basically one of those things where, all right, can we get through like a couple of weeks with what we have, not have to go anywhere? Maybe other people will start taking those same precautions. And then eventually this will kind of, you know, plateau and you just go back downhill and we'll all be fine. But honestly the you know the more I keep seeing people hanging out and high fiving each other and everything, I'm Mm -hmm. like, gosh, it's just never gonna stop.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And every time you think about it, you're just like, well, that's another day. Every high five is another (laughs) day we're gonna spend indoors. I kind of want to experience some of this summer. I know. I
0: know, right? It's like, uh, yeah. and, and, and you know, my wife and I are expecting a baby in June and we're like, if this could just be over, like at the end of May, we'll be good. Cause you know, right now we're at least not like New York is where like nobody's allowed in the hospital, mm-hmm. but like right now it's just like, you can have yourself and one other person and then that person cannot leave Yeah, because they want to contain it. So it's like, all right, well, if we end up having to go. We have to make sure we have a bag
1: packed for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is just even more stress, too. I can't even imagine, like, how much that's, like, stressful and even things you have to more plan for. Yeah. You have to, like, have, like, three baby bags when you go to the hospital, one for each of you to survive the week and then just the stuff for the baby itself.
0: Right. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, we, we've had some friends that have uh, that have had babies, like, here in the past couple weeks and some that are upcoming. And, uh, you know, there's, they're going, well, we, you know, their grandparents can't see the baby f- or their parents, you know, grandparents can't see the baby for like a couple of months. Cause doctors are like no contact with anybody. And it's yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> and I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I haven't seen my folks in like a month. And uh, I just got a text today about wanting to get together for Easter. And I looked at my wife and I was like, ah, cause you know, we've seen her parents a couple of times and we know they're not sick, but like, my parents have been around like my niece and stuff and you know how, you know how little kids are with always coming home with something and I'm like, I could just yeah. imagine she's carrying it <laughs> and I'm just
1: like, I don't, I don't even want to, I don't even want to try. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty much what you said, just said. It's like, you know, so you, you know, someone may be carrying around it, but like at some point you're like, oh man, I haven't seen my parents in a while. Like right. I want to see them or like, like grandparents, like you're saying, like my grandparents are in Canada. I I probably won't be seeing them for a decent amount of time because I don't want to carry it to them. Yeah, Um, And it's, (laughs) (laughs) it sucks. It's, It's, that's really, it's really all it boils down to. Yeah. It just sucks that I, you know, I hope it's over soon. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, let's move on to happy stuff. Um, I feel like I do this every episode now, at least for the past month. It's just been like, Depression and then happy things, you know. Um, but uh, first off, congrats on being the youngest guest on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you, thank you. I think I think uh, Jamie may beat me in a few days, but I'll, I'll take the I'll take the award when I can have it. There
0: you go, there you go. Well, if, I, I don't even know what the award would be if I gave it out, but we'll just uh, we'll just say it's uh, it'll be written somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sounds perfect. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, obviously, I know a little bit about you from um, a little bit of a blurb I gave out at the beginning. But tell me, tell me about yourself. Tell me about growing up. Um, I guess a little bit. You were in Ontario versus you know being in New York uh, or in Huntington, right outside New York City, and um, kind of uh, going through school and where, how you got to where you are now.
1: Yeah. So I like uh, like you said, I was born in Wealth, Ontario, uh, and I moved to the United States when I was about seven. Um, My dad got a new job in Long Island and that was pretty much why we moved and you know there's not much of like a say culture shock going from like Canada to U.S. like a lot of things they're very much alike but for a seven-year-old kid who had like a bunch of friends starting new even at that age was like weird. So inadvertently like I was a more outdoorsy kid when I was in Canada and when I moved ended up becoming more of an indoorsy person. and actually started like Playing video games and like doing more artistic things compared to when I was younger, and I ran around in the local conservation area in Canada. Um, and from there, you know, I when I moved to Huntington, uh, <laughs> ironically, I got put in the uh, English as a secondary language program in my school um, because I didn't understand the person who was giving me the tests thick New York accent. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not—I'm not sure if you ever heard like a thick, thick New York uh, accent, like coffee and stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. But like, yeah, it's—it's—it's it's, it's ridiculous. It's hard to hear. Um, so for a kid of when I when I was that young, I was just like, I don't know what you're saying. And they took it as, oh, you can't understand English. Oh jeez. So I got—I got put in English as secondary language programs. And for a long time, uh, just going through the English programs, they treated me like I was pretty much like an idiot. And where I'm like, I can understand you, I just couldn't understand that person. Um, so it actually disillusioned me to reading for in writing for a long time. And um, for a very, very, very long time, I didn't read, I didn't write, I didn't do anything related to act like any of those literature things. The books we, they made us read were terrible i got I, I don't remember the name of one of them but it was like a book about where a kid drowns and then the another kid spends like the entire book like worrying and like obsessing over to it and i was like a kid in like third grade we were like okay this is exciting i kind of want to read about anything a little more interesting like harry potter or you know city of ember or things like this right um but ends up being that they always gave us like kind of more literary books as a kid. Um, and it actually wasn't until I hit fourth grade where I had a teacher give me uh frindle by Andrew Clemens that I actually began like how much I loved reading that book uh, probably changed my life for the better where I saw like, it was just like this, like, like really funny kid with or bright orange hair and glasses, which is how I looked at the time. Um, really just like, I saw myself in this book, and it ended up making me read more and more. And then from there, I grew into love, fantasy, and uh, books in general. And then by the time I was in fifth grade, I started writing a book every two years until eventually I sold one. That's, I guess, the quick and dirty version.
0: (laughs) So I have to know (laughs) – did you tell anybody that you
1: knew English? <laughs> oh, they knew immediately. Okay. The, the the teacher the teacher who got me was like, uh, he can, he he knows uh, he can understand and speak English fine. Why is he in here? And they were like, "No, he's got to go through the proper protocols. He's got to pass the tests. and the and the teacher who was teaching me was like, "He's fine. Can we just get him out of here? Um it, but I was in there for like, I don't know six or seven months, I think where like the teacher kind of just like, just do the work so I can get you out quicker. And it was me kind of being like, all right, I guess this is what's going on. I think it was months before I even told my parents what was happening because they didn't kind of understand what was going on. <laughs> they were wondering why your grades just, were so good. <laughs> yeah, they are like, wow, you're doing great in English. And I was like, yeah, it's really easy. Um, so yeah, it was it was a mess. Uh, yeah, they, they, they thought the you point.
0: were doing so great in English, you know. Lo and behold, it was English as a second language. You know, just kind of cut off on your report card.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much what it was when they finally figured out what was happening. Uh, they ended up going down to the school and being like, "He's fine. Can you be taken out of this?" And they, they're just like, "No, we got to go through the proper protocol. He's got to pass these exams and tests." And meanwhile, my both my parents are just like, "All right." This is really dumb, but I guess this is just how it works. Right. Because we, like I said, we had just moved to America. Um, and then we very quickly realized it was not right. It was kind of dumb. And that was kind of where I began disinterested in literature and English in general for a bit. I
0: gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where like your parents didn't know if you were play, playing a practical joke or like, did you lie to them and say that you didn't know English because you're from Canada?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> I, I will. I like. I have to give the school some kind of like benefit of the doubt, considering uh, when this had happened, it was right around nine eleven. Mm-hmm. So I think they were concerned with a little more important things um. uh, than the Canadian kid who had you know stuck in the English as a secondary learning class.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would. I would think so. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a little more important than uh, – yeah, just let this kid just sit here for six months. He, he knows everything. It's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised I, I, I they I kind that of need like make it a free period for you. <laughs> exactly.
1: Like, you know what? Just like
0: go get in some more laps in the pool. Like It'll be fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. They're just, they're just giving me extra credit. There you go. That's all. They really <laughs> want me to pass. <laughs>
0: All right. So uh, typically I ask about oddest jobs you've ever had. And I mean, it seems like you've had a few weird jobs, uh, you know, once you graduated. So um, you volunteered on an organic farm in Ireland.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually a a pretty good story, uh, all things considered. So um, around the time of my senior year in college, you know, like all good stories, uh, I got my heart broken um I, had, I just ended a relationship with someone who i'd been with like nearly five years and it ended actually missively like she wanted to go do one thing and i wanted to go do the other and it wasn't it was pretty much our past weren't gonna like aligned anymore mm-hmm. so we ended up breaking up but at the time i was kind of lost i didn't know what to do because you know when you've been with someone that long even if you haven't talked about things you still kind of like oh they're going to be in my life for a long time And to suddenly be like, all right, they're not there anymore. What do I want to do? And I kind of just kind of ran away, to be honest. I went to Ireland kind of as a way to escape from what I was going on and try to do some good at the same time. And then I ended up going through this program called Woofing. And essentially what it does is it provides workers uh, to farms in exchange for boarding, lodging and food. They provide work. And at the time I was like, you know what, I can, I can take a month off after I graduate or some time off to go to Ireland and work on this farm and kind of get my head back straight and figure out what I want to do. I ended up (laughs) in this farm in the middle of nowhere, Ireland, um, pretty much. I don't even know if I can call it a farm, but that's the closest thing I can um, working for these people. And to give you an insight of like how this happened, this town, on, didn't only had one bus going in it through every day there was only one bus in and out of the town and we had showed up on the one day the bus wasn't running so we had to like walk a decent amount from the nearest bus station just to get a cab to get to the place so we pull up on to up this like huge kind of like old like mansiony place there's no fields in sight and we're like and me and my friend who i was doing this with we were like what what's going on like are we in the right place like Uh, Our host isn't responding. Like, what's going on? And But we see all these cows around, like, electric fences around us. So we're approaching the house, and right on the porch is this goat. No leash, like, no tether, no nothing. It's just a goat sitting on the porch. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, there's cows around us. Like, there's this goat. This has to be the right place. And then we get closer to the door. We still don't see or hear anyone. And the goat gets up and starts charging me. (laughs) So this goat, like full force out of nowhere, just starts charging me. And I like throw my bag to the ground and, and me and my friend like running and the goats tearing after me. One of my friends like jumps onto a tree and starts climbing the nearest tree. And me being the genius I am think, oh, I'll just go over this fence so i jump oh, over this fence and you land in this like mud surrounded by all these cows and this goat stops at the edge looks down at me he's kind of like well aren't you special as i'm sitting in the mud i <laughs> kind of just like jumped over after i jumped over this electric fence and then it goes back and then we like then like we start playing this game and trying to get to the front door without alarming this goat <laughs> and then by the time we do we knock on the door and this woman answers and she's like, we're like, okay, we're the, we're the woofers for this place. is like, are we in the right place? And she's like, did, did, uh, did James send you here? Or like, or like, yeah, he's like, all right. Yeah. He's in the back. I'll let him know you're here. Let's us in. We're like, so, so who's the goat? And she, she's like, oh, don't mind him. You know, he lost his family. He lost his family maybe like six months ago. And he's kind of been crazy since he kind of like charges people. He doesn't recognize. <laughs> and we're just kind of like, you know, we we were shown pictures of the place, kind of get an idea of what we would do, but you know, having a charging goat was kind of maybe we should have been informed of beforehand. <laughs> um, and it was just the entire time I was there, it was bonkers. Um, we did so, so many odd end jobs and so many weird things. Like there were days where like our entire job was to like, all right, clear all this potato patch of weeds. Pretty pretty standard stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there were other days where the owner of this, I still say farm loosely, but it's the closest thing I got, would uh, disappear for half the day, then show up at like 5 p.m. with a truck full of flowers he had ripped out of the nearby river, saying we had to plant them in because the opera was coming uh, to visit soon. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, you know, it's like 7, 8 p.m., and we're planting these flowers, kind of being like, I think going to die by the time we get some water in them. Um, and it, <laughs> Easily one of the the weirdest, uh, maybe most exp- like life experiencing times of my life, and I, you know, after just seeing all this craziness, I kind of got my life being like, all right, I know what I want to do, and I read a lot of fantasy books while I was there. So, you know, <laughs> and the ends well, and I, I could tell stories for days on what the place we, things we had to do in this place. It was like a it was like a sketch comedy show every other day. <laughs> So
0: I have to say when you said woofing, all I could yep. think of, especially especially with you know you're a little bit of a northern accent, all I could think of was Ryan from the office and woof. You know what I'm talking about, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I know it means worldwide opportunities on organic farms because I Googled it, but yeah, all I could think was yeah, Wolf, and, you know, and I can just hear like the barking in the background with all the different you know phones and printers and fax machines still going off. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's that's like that's a show that I can just watch over and over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, it's probably constantly on repeat in my den, especially with my wife being home. So
1: that's uh, that's pretty dude. much how my roommate is too. He uh, pretty much he's like I you know I watch it all the time. It's always on here too, so I completely understand. <laughs>
0: Um, I, so, uh, so I know you started writing <clears throat> The Kingdom of Liars when you were in college and I guess, I guess was mm-hmm. it the last couple of years that you were there that you pretty much wrote it?
1: Uh, yeah, so okay. I had, I had been writing books, like I said, on and off, like pretty much every two years since I was in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. But when I got into college, I had actually come up with a lot of the things that would initially form The, the Kingdom of Liars. Um, and I had written like the memory magic stuff and like a lot of things with the city and the politics and the characters had all been there. Um, but I had written it all actually from third person. And there's a version of this book that no one's ever seen um, that actually has three different protagonists rather than just the, the single one of Michael. Mm. And for a lot of reasons, that book didn't work. Um, it was good in a lot of ways, but it essentially came down to um, no one actually um, – the memory magic stuff didn't work when I told it in third person. Um, because a lot of people contributed the errors and the narrative and the the lies and the things they were forgetting as mistakes on me as a writer rather than mistakes as the character. (laughs) (laughs) Which let me tell you was frustrating (laughs) to no end.
0: That's a really interesting way to write a book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was it was just like, ah I swear this isn't me. This is like how it's written. Um and then I ended up rewriting it kind of my I don't say maybe late junior to senior year into first person. It flowed a lot better, um, and then I, you know, I rewrote it again uh, after <laughs> after I, I started talking to my agent about things. Um, but yeah, like I've been writing this book. What is it? Twenty twenty? Like maybe, probably for like five years at this point. It's finally going to be out. I'm really excited for kind of it to be out. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a story that's kind of in my head.
0: Right. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. The re- reason I was asking is because you know it's it's different from a lot of people that I I talked to about writing because. You know, say a lot of them, uh, you know, maybe wrote a little bit while they were in school. And then, um, you know, some of them may have have done like a self-published book while they were in school. But a lot of them, you know, didn't write until a little bit later in life. And so I'm kind of curious about, you know, how how you found the time to write and where you typically, you know, wrote while you're in college versus where you find time to write now, uh, you know, having graduated and so forth.
1: Yeah, honestly, I didn't have the time in college, um, <clears throat> to, to be frank, but I, I made the time. I was a, a creative writing student that didn't really write anything fantasy for a long time. My program was more uh, structured to more literary stuff, and by my some of my professors' own admission, they didn't know fantasy as well as they knew literary, but they would teach me how to write literary so I could then take those skills to fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was in college, I, I, I was doing... I was like a rabbit with like I was like especially with a kid with his head cut off I don't think I ever stopped moving I was a swimmer in a d3 d3 college and we that came with like two to four hours of practice every day and then you pretty much lost Saturdays to meets Um, and then I was in a fraternity and I spent you know hours dealing with the problems and issues and like uh, philanthropy stuff that rose with that thing and then I was an RA and head resident where I had to deal with, like, essentially making sure drunk kids didn't, like, get too drunk. Um, everything else. I remember those days. No.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, I, the, the, RAs, the RA part, I could tell even more stories about, like, the things I have had to just stop people from doing that they thought were brilliant ideas at, like, 2 a.m. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and then, you know, all this stuff with, like, a typical college experience. Um, but, I, you know, I made the time. I think that was honestly one of the things I took out of college that was the most beneficial is that I had little time to write the book that I want to, along with all these other things, along with all my schoolwork, but I made it, I made it work whenever I could. And some days they were like, I'm going to only get 200 words today. And then there were other days where I'm like, all right, I can sit down for like a longer period of time and get like 2000. Mm -hmm. And I, I am forever thankful to actually how much I did during college because now I have actually more time to write and I make more productive on like honing my skills and doing what I can to get better as writing compared to when I was college where I was just running around thinking, okay, how much stuff can I get done in a single day while still getting decent amount of sleep?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you really spread yourself thin in college. I mean, I I felt like
1: (laughs) I I did a lot in college, not even close. (laughs) I, I I frankly did it on purpose. I, you know, there's that, there's an old saying where it's like, Oh, write what you know and I in college I had taken it to as oh I gotta do more and more things so I know more and more things so I I essentially tried to do everything and anything and I look back at my college times actually really fondly just because of how many friends and things I got to do that like other people didn't like my time as a swimmer in college or some of my fondest memories because I got to meet people who like really are still close I'm still close to this day And then as an RA, I learned a lot about kind of just like a self-responsibility and how to like actually have responsibility to others and keep yourself on like the straight and narrow while at the same time, you know, doing like college stupid stuff, but no, not getting caught. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) No, no, no. I, 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 I think it was the worst kept secret, but the RA's. I actually knew how to get away with more stuff than the regular students just because we knew the rules. Oh,
0: of course. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> But then I learned a lot just about like philanthropy from my fraternity where we had to, you set aside days where you're like, okay, we're going to go clean up Gettysburg. We're going to throw this like chicken dinner event. How does these things come together? How do we reach out to co- the community around us to like have us support this thing? And how do things like that happen? And honestly, I, I credit the fraternity just with showing me a, uh, a charity that I really like supporting in St. Jude. Like I didn't know about St. Jude beforehand. And now I'm like, I try to make contributions at least every so often to it because they do amazing things.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I guess that's a a, a little long winded. I kind of just ran around a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. All right. So uh, you said you had uh, a ton of stories and you could go all day about being an RA. Um, What is the, uh, I guess the funniest story that you've got for me?
1: Uh, I think honestly, the funniest stories just came down to like the individual people that you ended up having to deal with every day. Um, but one of the things that stands out to me is that during, so in college, you have this thing called like room closing, where for whatever breaks, people go back home or just even for sort of a semester that you close down the building. And every year we had, we have students who like are responsible for like checking to make sure like all like the things are unplugged so they don't waste electricity and make sure pretty much people leave. Um, and normally it's a pretty easy thing. You do it in like two, three hours. You pretty much open every room. You're like, oh, no one's here. Everything's unplugged. Slam the door shut. Um, except one year when we we stumbled upon a party happening that with no one who went there in the school. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just me and our person at break, like closing breaks. We're looking in this room, and we open this door, and we just see. Beer cans everywhere on the floor, every single inch of the floor space, thing covered, and they're just people sitting there, casually drinking. They're like, "Oh, hey," and we're like, "Hey, you, you guys know you're in like a, a freshman building, right?" And they're like, "Oh, no," and they're like, "Do you, do you guys go like, are you in this room?" Because you know we know the residents were there, and I'm like, "Oh, no," and we're like, "Where'd you guys come from?" They're like, "Oh, we were just around the area. We we saw the building was open, just." You know, I'm sat down, have some drinks. I'm like looking at the floor and there's like, like two or three cases worth of beer just like emptied out. And I'm like, Oh, really just, just casual thing. And they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're like, okay, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And they're like, Oh yeah, they're very They were very cordial, like pretty drunk. And they just kind of like, Oh yeah, we'll leave. And we're just kind of like sitting there being like, do we report this? Like, where did these people come from? Like, because we didn't recognize any of them. right? And it's just you, – you'd come across things like that where you just like – people would wander into like rooms and they just had no place to be in there. To this day, I don't know where these people came from. I don't know how they got into the building. I just found like, a, like four people very – pretty drunk in this room that they had no place to belong to. Were they college and, age? Kind of, I think so. Like to like like I said to this day, I still don't quite know what happened. <laughs> but it's like the first memory that sticks out to me where you walk in, see a group of people I've never seen before that people they didn't have any school IDs on them. They were just chilling in this freshman dorm with like three or four cases of beer. Interesting. I see. I don't, I don't feel like you know because
0: I, I guess because at North things are a little bit closer together like buildings and so forth that people just kind of wander see like we're so spread out down here that people don't necessarily just wander into random buildings unless you're like in a strip mall and they just kind of walk in. So I, I, I can't say I've ever seen that happen, but that uh, see, that's impressive <laughs> that somebody just walks in. Nobody notices. <laughs> they just start
1: crashing beers in a random room. See, see, that was the, I I would, I would 100% agree with you, but I went to a school in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, like, our, our tap, like, our university pretty much was, like, the town, Uh, so I have no idea where these people came from, (laughs) like, I, I, I stand by the fact these people must have been, like, maybe they were friends who knew the area, or they just had, like, gotten lucky, but you just, You never know. And I still don't know. It's one of my life's greatest mysteries of where these people came from, how they found this random room unlocked and why they had so much beer with them at the time. (laughs) One day I hope to get the answer, but I doubt I ever will.
0: Right. Right. Um, So, uh, so moving, uh, I guess, away from, from, from college life and dorm life and (laughs) frat life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me, uh, tell me how you're, how your writing process has changed from, you know, your your early years to now and kind of, um, you know, whether or not are you an architect or a gardener?
1: Are you a mix? Are you neither? Um, so, yeah, so I'll start, I guess I'll start with kind of with kind of writer I am. I've always considered it kind of like road tripping where I know I'm like I have a map of the United States in front of me and I know I'm starting in New York. I want to take stops in Chicago, Nashville, Birmingham, Vegas, and end in San Francisco. Um, So I have a lot of my big plot points and like character stuff plotted out in advance, but I don't really know the minute details. Kind of like, you know, you're going to take this kind of state highway all the way down, but you don't quite know what the road's called that you're going to turn off of or where you're going to stop for dinner and so forth um and it gives me a lot of kind of leeway between having a very strict guideline where i'm like i gotta follow this I gotta follow this i can't deviate from my the plot and outline i've created and while at the same time kind of giving me some kind of like oh man i have no idea where i'm going or oh, now i do have some idea where i'm going with this kind of like loose outline they kind of look like flow charts to be honest and i handwrite most of them um just to kind of give me like a little more Patience and so forth, because when I'm in front of my computer working, I consider it like, all right, I got to work where when I uh, when I write things down like pen and paper it allows me to give some time to like more think about things like, oh, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? Like if I went off in this direction, where would this character theoretically come with? Who would this affect and so forth? Um, but before that, I, I think I tried every every kind of method. I tried heavy outlines and it didn't work for me. And I tried kind of pantsing it and it also didn't work for me. So I kind of found this happy medium where I know where I'm going and I just don't quite know how to get there. Um but the Kingdom of Liars series in itself is kind of strange um from like a stand a writing standpoint because I designed the series actually in reverse. So the first like concrete image of this entire series is actually the ending, where I had had kind of come up with where these characters had ended up and how how and what their ending goal was but i didn't quite know how they, how they got there mm. so when i was creating the series i kind of went in reverse and so forth so i thought okay this character ended up with in a blank position how did they get there how did they start and kind of said oh if they began like this how did they how what what made step did they get to this power position i'm being, being super vague because i don't want to like spoil things <laughs> no you're good uh, but it really was a fun exercise and gives me a lot of things that I know where everything's going. Yeah. Um, and a lot of things I get to foreshadow in the first book are things that you're really going to blink and miss it the first time through it. Uh, I have characters say some kind of flat out, like spoilery things, but as a reader, you don't have the context yet. So you don't really catch it when, if you get, once you read the second or the third, you'll go back and see the first. And you're like, Oh wait, he literally told us what was going to happen all the way in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just didn't catch it the first time through. I'm a huge fan of hiding things in plain sight and kind of letting the reader figure it out on like a reread or so forth. Like how these things were hidden along the way.
0: I got you. Um, kind of sticking to, I guess, writing process. I mean, it's, it's really a uh, precursor to your writing process. Who, um, who were some of your, uh, writing influences, maybe growing up, and maybe even some that you have, you know, con- continued to keep
1: as writing influences. Oh, um, so I'm a huge fan of Robin Hobb. Um, I think what she did with like the Fire Seer trilogy and the Fitz and the Fool things, a trilogy, are just incredible in a lot of a lot of just amazing ways. The fact that I I can read hundreds of pages of Fitz kind of just like complaining about things and not just like putting the book down as mesmerizing to me. <laughs> and I, I honestly think that's probably something I carried over to my series in general because uh, Michael's kind of lover, love him or hate him. Uh, I don't think there's really any in between on his character. Um, and I think reading Fitz and Robin Hoff in general gave me that thing of like, wow, this character has made really dumb mistakes, but I still follow him and I care about him and I want to see him succeed. Wow, why is he so dumb? Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like an endless cycle whenever I read those books. But I I love them for that. I love Fitz. I love his character and all the characters in those books. And I think Robin Hobb is just a a true master at how she does it. She was the first writer who ever made me cry while reading a book. And I've actually put off reading the last book um, because I don't want the series to end. Where, like, they mean that much to me where I'm like, hey, if I read this and it's over, and I don't want that to happen. So I'd rather just end with an incomplete right for at least now rather than have the whole story because then it's done yeah
0: you, just, you, you have to be in the right place for it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but yeah other writers that i look up to are like obviously brandon samson is huge influence on me like his his ser- all of his series in general has influenced me in one way or the other um <laughs> his stormlight archive is just I don't know if incredible is the right word, but I think it's the closest one I've got where the things he's doing in it are just amazing. Um, But I love writers like Ken Liu, Marie Brennan, uh, like Nicholas Eames, uh, Robert Riddick, and then I was literally looking at the bookshelf as I say this, uh, (laughs) uh, like Van Aronovich. Like like, there's so many amazing writers coming out uh, doing things nowadays that it's it's impossible for me to get bored with they in the reading. Right. Um, but I think one of the things that is a lot of surprising to, at least people want to talk about writing, is like, I've never read most of, like, the greats in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a lot of people, like, people are like, oh, these are, like, the building blocks of fantasy. I've never read them. Um, I kind of have this more, like, current pantheon of writers I look up to and the people who have influenced me compared to some others who are like, oh, yeah, Tolkien's the best. And I'm like... I've never read anything of Tolkien, and yeah. I don't know if I will
0: right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I, I'm fair. I'd say I'm fairly new to fantasy. I mean, you know, of course, when I grew up, I read, you know, Harry Potter and stuff yep. like that. But, um, you know, I didn't really get deeply ingrained in fantasy until five-ish years ago when I started really doing the blog stuff and, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, kind of finding out I was like, oh, there's a there's a lot of good stuff out there, you know, and And so, yeah, a lot of my read, you know, a lot of my reads are current. So it's either, you know, what's coming up or within the past couple of years or, you know, but I I just, I go, you know, I'd love to read some of that old stuff, but A, there's a lot of it. And B, if I do that, I won't be able to enjoy all the new stuff.
1: (laughs) And and that's what it really is. It's, it's, you hear those like at least. I remember when I was going through school, they're like, you got to read the classics. You got to read the classics. Unless then you don't have, like, you have a building block for all the stuff. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I kind of like what I'm reading right now. Like,
0: yeah.
1: if I was reading, like, all the classics, would I have necessarily gotten to, like, N.K. Jemisin quicker? Right. And, like, the, like the, her series blew me away. Like, <laughs> she won the Hugo three years in a row yeah. for what she did. Like, like would I have I've missed out on that if I had stuck to, like, reading all of the classics? And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the classics, but I'm living in this age, like at least right now, where I can interact with all the writers I'm looking up to.
0: Yeah.
1: I can like go talk to them at conferences or like meet them through uh, professional means where I'm like, I get to meet the heroes I look up to. Yeah. And that's really cool to me, where I'm living in that point where that may not always be the case, where I want to take full advantage of the people I look up to, I want to talk to them. I want to get to know how they do things and what, why they did certain things. Well, at the same time, enjoying the classics, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't take advantage of the opportunity in front of me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at it this way, you're talking and uh, writing alongside the authors of the classics in the next 60 years or 50 yeah. years or whatever. So you're yeah. like, you know what? I'd rather be in the now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I can, I can tell my kids where I'm like, I met Brandon Sanderson. They're like, Oh, like, yeah. I, that's the thing. Like I'm, I, I can't, I, I want to talk to all these writers. I want to tell, like show my kids the stories that I grew up with. And they are a little different from the classics. Um, But I, there's never, there's, we talk about like the golden age of fantasy And then there's like the fantasy renaissance where a lot of people contribute like Sanderson, Abercrombie and other authors to creating that renaissance. But I think we're slowly progressing into another age where like all these writers are coming out and doing these amazing things. And I don't want to miss that. Yeah. And they're all doing things completely different from the last. Yeah. And that's really one of like the really cool things that are going on right now is that every book out there is so different. Yep. And there really is a book – they're slowly becoming a book for everyone out there. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'm trying to think like the books – some of the books i very read recently, like The Unspoken Name. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Um, and then I'm reading things like Shadows of the Short Day by – I'm going to so mess up his last name. It is Ale- by Alexander Dan from Glance where it it is just – I don't really know how to describe it other than it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like all these books that are that are so different from what they were even 10 years ago or five years ago that I, i'm overwhelmed with books that honestly at some points where i'm like i have so many options there's so many different things what do i want to read now
0: yeah yeah absolutely well so let's uh let's talk about uh your debut so uh kingdom of liars it's book one of the legacy of the mercenary king um yep. so first off how does it feel working with a publisher like Gallants, especially for a debut novel and trilogy
1: oh it's wonderful like glance it, glance is wonderful i love working with my editor uh jillian jillian she is way smarter than me and very deadly with a bow and arrow and <laughs> I've learned so much working just with a short period of time and I would be, I can't forget to mention like working with Joe and Saga Press is just also amazing. Like I feel like I'm surrounded by like geniuses who know have been in the business so long and I've worked with so many amazing authors that I adore that I'm just like soaking up all their knowledge and like trying to get better as quickly as I can. Like I'm loving every, everyone I'm working with, like they're all incredible.
0: Good,
1: good. Um, all right,
0: and a twofold question. So, uh, what was it like seeing the book covers for the first time, since they're vastly different? And then, what was it like seeing what is essentially your idol, Brandon Sanderson's name attached to
1: a blurb on this book? <laughs> uh, so, I'll start with the covers. Um, uh, I saw. So, I actually saw the covers around the same time, actually, and it was kind of like this incredible thing where, uh, if I remember correctly, the UK cover came in first. And it was, they pitched it as they, before, I mean, this is too much detail, but whatever. Um, <laughs> when they said they were going to go for something like Kings of the Wild and kind of Brandon's uh, UK versions was kind of the mix they were going to say to me. And they said, oh, we're going to give you Richard Anderson. And me being like, Richard Anderson. Wow. That's uh, like, you're only giving me one of my favorite artists ever. <laughs> wow. Like no big deal. It's like going to turn it nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh man. Oh, shucks. I only got Richard Anderson. Like, no, he was like, I was like, Oh man, this is incredible. I love him. Um, so his cover came in first. And I was blown away. Um, and it was cool that one of the things we actually did was, um, there was initial debate on which color was going to be the highlight of the thing. We had decided to go with kind of like gray, uh, grayscale, and there was going to be a highlight in color and, read for a lot of reasons was the was the one that made most sense in terms of like the book and the presentation but i remember the first time i saw the uk cover i was just staring at it for a while being like okay we just matched one of my like favorite artists with my book i was blown away and then maybe like a week or two later the u.s cover came in and i was just like how did you like hit two home runs in the same in the same time like it was incredible um and, and Bastion's co- uh, cover is is also incredible for so d- different reasons like um R- R- the uk cover is so like it's a character thing it's michael on the cover mid-action like he's holding things it's this beautiful like grayscale with attention to detail and then you have bastion's kind of like just like imposing cover where it's just like the moon's broken there's the cityscape and i i, I can't i'm As you can probably tell, I'm enthusiastic about the covers. (laughs) I love them both for so many different reasons. And it's actually interesting where I – when I hear people talk about the covers, most people have one favorite. They're like, this is the best one. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting seeing what people gravitate to where I'm like, ah, these are my two children. I love them equally. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You Uh, you
0: will not have me pick one over the other. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: No, no one's ever asked me about which one's my favorite. I I don't think I could pick. I think I I think I just kind of like break down like mentally, being like a robot who has malfunctioned, being like I have to choose between them. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're incredible. Um, but to, to answer your other question about having Brandon blurb the book, I, well, so I had known for a decent amount of time that Brandon had the book, um, and I was kind of told like, hey, like you never know, like authors are very busy. They sometimes they get to books and sometimes they don't it, like the blurbing process is kind of like the wild west where you send a bunch of them out and like sometimes you get a few responses and then sometimes you'll talk to authors later and they'll be like oh your book is sitting on my show for like months I just never got around to it and some of them just won't respond because they didn't like it mm-hmm. so I had kind of tried to temper my expectations being like yeah Brandon's got it but he's so busy he's writing the the four star uh, four stormlight archive and like I can't expect anything. And then I got a random email one day from my agent being like, hey, here's Brandon's blurb. And I was just like, I, I, oh, what? <laughs> it was this kind of like truly just like mind-breaking moment where the only thing I responded to the email was a bunch of exclamation points. Uh, and I think I just sat down for a while being like, Brandon just blurbed my book. Like, this, <laughs> am I dreaming? Like, I think I pinched myself her a few times. Um, but it's this incredible humbling thing where like I got, I got essentially recognized by someone I had looked up to for so long that it, to this day, it's still like, I look at the cover. I'm like, yeah, that's incredible. Like I, Brandon blurred my book and he liked it enough to blurb it, which is a whole different aspect of publishing where it's like, sometimes you'll like a book, but authors will decide not to blurb it or promote it in other ways. Uh, but for him to like it enough to blurb it and to essentially like, talk about it is just incredible and i uh, yeah i'm still as you can tell stuttering and like <laughs> <laughs> flabbergasted i was lucky enough to get it it's incredibly humbling
0: and the fact that they said it was an excellent fantasy debut you're probably like oh my heart I can't take it <laughs> I, the,
1: I i won't lie there was a little bit of like hand fanning being like oh my, oh my gosh <laughs> like filling oh,
0: the, the vapors <laughs> Yeah, pretty
1: much like it, it it really was just uh, like a. I think I felt my brain stop for a bit. Mm-hmm. I, I think the first. I think I. I all I did was send the blurb to like my my girlfriend. She was at work, and I think she just called me screaming, and be like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, it happened." I think I, I think I was broken for a few days, being like, "Well, oh, yeah, this has happened. This is incredible." At least she didn't go, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: And they're
1: like, all right, we're done. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, like the, the entire blurb process, while it's very stressful, I, I am beyond grateful and gracious for the people who have uh, read the book and blurbed it. We had Tamora Pierce blurb it too, who uh, I adore, but my girlfriend actually lost it. My Tamora Pierce is my girlfriend's favorite, favorite author. And she actually was like, Tamora Pierce blurbed your book? Are you kidding me? And I was like, yeah. She was like, oh, my God. Like She actually, I think, changed her view on me. And this is after <laughs> we've been dating for years. She was like, my favorite author just blurred my boyfriend's book. Is this, is this actually happening? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we, we had James, Edmonton, Jeremy, Edward colleagues, and so many other amazing authors. And it's, it's an incredibly humbling experience, and I hope I can give it forward at some time if I ever become – uh, like important or even like somewhat important that people start asking for blurbs. I'll, I'll make sure I always return the favor forward. Yeah. You don't
0: want to be that guy where like, who's Nick
1: Partill. Why? And why, yeah. is, he, why is his name on this book? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, you don't want to, you, you, want <laughs> Exactly. I'm just going to stop laughing and just say that. <laughs> All right.
0: So, uh, I've got a couple of more questions I want to ask you, but first, um, for, those that are listening that maybe don't really know about the Kingdom of Liars, um, you know, that maybe have seen the covers, they've heard it mentioned a couple of times in the podcast. Can you give us like a, like a quick sell on the novel before I go into my next questions?
1: Yeah. So the, the pitch I gave when I was selling it was essentially it's set in a city where magic costs memory to use and a disgraced noble must deceive everyone around him to determine whether his father killed the child Prince or not. Um, that's the simplest Quickest version of what my book's about. Um, obviously, there are things like there's a shattered moon in the sky. There's gunpowder versus magic, and all these other aspects. But at the core, it's about this disgraced noble who's trying to figure out if his father's innocent or not.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's it's also a very large book, so it's not just <laughs> like that and you're done. And it's also a trilogy, so it's not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so my first question, kind of based on that, and you pretty much touched all these points. So. So yeah, in Hollow, which is where the book takes place, magic comes at a price, and that price is memories. How did you come up with the idea, and why memories?
1: Um, honestly, I tried to come up with the worst thing that I could do to people without killing them. Oh. Um, at the time when I was creating The Kingdom of Liars, I had read a lot of books and kind of gotten frustrated where the worst thing people, authors, did to their books was like, oh, I'm going to kill a character. And I'm like, yeah, that's heartbreaking but is there something worse I can do to characters in my own book? And so I really tried to come up with the thing, what is worse than like death? And to me, it was like the loss of like a person or loss of memories. Mm -hmm. So I started off coming up with things like, man, what would hurt me the most in this instance? So I'm like, if I just completely forgot about like my girlfriend, like we've been dating a long time, but if I just woke up the next day and I couldn't remember anything about her, that would cause a lot of heartbreak to her, to me and to everyone around us. Yeah. And then from there developed into well, what are other things that can really um, tug at the heartstrings of readers and things like if I took away a daughter's memory of their mother who had passed away, so they couldn't remember it, her, what she looked like, would that be would that be painful to read and would that be heartbreaking? Um, and it really just it really just come down to the fact that I wanted to make the worst thing I could do that wasn't death to my characters. And losing memories was the worst thing that I could I could come up with. I mean, yeah, that, 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 that is pretty <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah. I would have to agree. Yeah, and it's it's something that gets um, it's. I've only kind of scratched the surface with in the Kingdom of Liars where mm-hmm. we've see we get to see kind of what like level one magic um, and how it affects people. And as the series progresses, the magic gets deeper and deeper until you essentially figure out under all of it. Uh, and how it works to excise details, precise details. Okay. Um, but for now, it, it right now, it's just people are forgetting things. You lose your memories. And how does that inf- influence a society and a world and characters in general where they can wake up the next morning and not remember things they really care about?
0: Yeah. I mean, because if you kind of think about it, you know, with, with our in reality, you know, like dementia and stuff, you know, you really yeah. see how that affects not only the person who has it but everybody around them and and it kind of your, your magic system kind of works in you in, in that kind of vein whereas like it, it's not apparent at the beginning but as as it progresses it just gets worse and worse and worse and uh and, and yeah i'm interested to see kind of how that plays out going forward uh throughout the trilogy Oh, it gets worse. Oh, um, sure it does.
1: It, it gets so worse.
0: There's no uh, way it gets better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> better to me. Um, right.
0: worse to everyone else. No, but it,
1: but it, it, it was, was it was it was cool because when you start thinking about how does a society function when they can forget aspects of it. Like if the if the winners are the ones who decide how history is remembered, but they're also the ones who are forgetting history at the same time, does that mean there are huge gaps in history? There are things that they just kind of took out? And how does that affect like the ruling class and how information is handled and stored and remembered? And how does that affect the society as a whole? Mm-hmm. Um, for like one example is that some of my characters put strong emphasis, like "I'll never forget you" or "Remember me" or like "What is like our legacy?" Because it, to me, when I was creating the society, I was like, if you could forget things at like a pin, drop of a hat. You would, you would put more influence on what your lasting legacy is and how you affect others mm-hmm. because you can be forgotten. And it happens kind of once or a few times in the series and as the first book, especially where Michael just kind of forgets things. Um, I like to call him, he's the most obvious, unreliable narrator you've ever come across. He's <laughs> like the first page. He's like, I remember things now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas like, what do you mean? Like, what did he forget before? And him as an unreliable narrator, he he forgets things and it's not always apparent. Um, and then you'll come across things where you'll be like, oh, that doesn't make sense. But Michael knows this, but like, oh, he's forgotten it now. And he doesn't really address it and so forth. Because when I forget things, I just forget them. Like they're, I, I'm not going to remember. I forgot them until like I get something jogs my memory. They just disappear. So when I was creating this, magic system and things. I kind of try to do that natural thing of like, when you forget things, do you actually remember if you forgot them or they kind of just disappear into the background?
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So tell me more about this shattered moon in the sky uh, that crumbles throughout the story.
1: Yeah. So, um, so the shattered moon in the sky is called Salona and it's separated into seven big floating pieces in the sky. And, um, Man, this is kind of—I'll ah, tell the full story. Um, so I, I essentially created Solona um, because I tried to think of what was an environmental thing and like a society thing that would be really cool and striking, at the same time could really influence the city and society as a whole. And honestly, I had—I had tried to do something kind of like what Brandon does in the Stormlight Archives, where these massive storms are waging across the continent. And it really messes up the train and the society has influenced it. So when I was creating something that would kind of be like that and like an environmental thing, I created the shattered moon where pieces of it fall to the earth and kind of bombard the world and the city of hollow, especially at like a near constant rate. So they kind of developed means to like, they watch the skies as long as watching like the walls for rebellion coming in, where it really is the city under siege from every angles and how it affects the society as a whole, where look, something could fall out of the sky and destroy a building in like a few seconds.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to take a break from the book for a second. One of, my, uh, one of the guys that's in the book community that I follow, one of the bloggers, I follow, his name's Paul. Uh, he runs Paul's Picks, uh, the blog. And uh, he apparently got a book review request called COVID-19, the Battle for Humanity. <laughs> And he literally responded, just goes, "I'm sorry, I just, I just don't have the time for this." And everybody's <laughs> like,
1: "Man, it's just too soon." <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's hitting on trends, and then there's just being like, "Oh man, this, oh, is gosh. you know, maybe like at least a year too soon."
0: Right. I'm like, I'm like, just give it some time. I'm like, they, they crammed up fifty-eight thousand words and two hundred and two pages to write this book. I'm like. We've only had this thing for like a few weeks. Like, 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 let it lay low for a little bit. How about right. once this is all over and everybody's cured and we don't have to worry about it, then
1: you publish a book? Yeah, exactly. I, I actually kind of feel bad for the agents in like six months, where they're going to get a lot of pandemic books coming out of this.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Um, all right. So back to your book. Sorry, I, that yes. was. I, I saw that and I was like, all right, laugh moment. Um, <laughs> all right, so. What was your ultimate goal in creating Michael Kingman? So he's a boy born into a legendary family turned traitor after his father slays the king's son, allegedly. Yep. Um,
1: what is what is your ultimate
0: goal with,
1: with Kingman? So um, so my ultimate goal with Michael Kingman was really to kind of tell the story of like a boy to a man, to a hero, to a legend, to a myth. And I use hero and legend kind of like synonymous with like anti-hero and infamous and things like that where I had thought about a lot of these stories where the chosen one happens. Like you think of like Harry Potter is a good example. Um, Harry Potter was the chosen one. He defeated Voldemort. He then went on his life and then his children were born. What do they do? How do they live up to this legacy of like what their father did and so forth? So, and I really wanted to try to deconstruct the chosen one as from a whole different angles, like the son of the chosen one, what happens when your, your children kind of deal with like, what happens to their parents and I kind of magnified it to like the tenfold degree with like the Cayman family where it's every chosen one who has ever lived is in this one family and every one of them has been amazing except Michael. Um, and honestly my ultimate goal with Michael is to kind of show that I didn't want him to be truly sympathetic to begin with because I had gotten kind of grown once. Well I feel like I said, grown bored a lot um, with things, but I guess that's what writers do is we see things in fantasy and kind of respond to them. Um, but I had gotten kind of like bored with like the really chosen hero who is kind of like good at everything. And I got really interested in the side characters, a lot of these stories, like Jamie Lannister. I think I am the only person that has ever liked Jamie Lannister in book one. <laughs> I adored him in book one because I thought he was like, man, this king is a kingslayer. Like, oh, yeah, he's a terrible person. He definitely pushed that kid out of the window, but like, he's definitely more interesting than what some of the other characters are reading about. Spoiler right now. alert, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the book
0: book's been up I was forever. Say, like,
1: <laughs> chapter one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really grew interested in a lot of these side characters and how they like matured and developed. And I kind of wanted to see their stories. So, in a lot of ways, Michael is like, if you look at him, like his legendary family, like, Oh, he's the chosen one. Michael's not the chosen one. Michael's so far from the chosen one. He couldn't even like hit the, hit the chosen one with like a catapult. Uh, (laughs) Michael really is this kid who is kind of crumbled and trying to mature under this legacy. And he's trying to do things good. but failing at every turn. He really is someone who's trying his best, but failing at every turn and how his story is really going to develop Um, I don't know how to answer that question without spoiling things, but (laughs) it's, it's not, it's going to, it's not going to end up well, but it's going to end up, it's going to be, he's going to create a legacy. It's kind of the easiest way to say Michael creates a legacy and his family and the people around him create legacies of their own. And that changes and shapes the world and the city they're in for some time but it doesn't mean Michael's a hero in any means. Michael is so far from the hero um, that even he kind of starts calling himself a villain at certain points in the narrative and the people around him actually start calling themselves villains too. Where to me it was like, if you're going to change a society that has been so deeply ingrained in a lot of like these kind of like bad ways there, these people are going to become traitors and villains to kind of do it where if they, because they'll be labeled as unjust and as rebellious, rebels and things. So Michael and people around him really do become traitors and villains rather than the heroes to try to change the society they're in for good and for worse. I got you. Um, Are there any other protagonists
0: in fantasy today that you would compare him to? I mean, I know you said, you know, you kind of like the characters like a Jamie Lannister or so forth. Yeah. They're kind of secondary, but also pretty uh, important to the story. But would you say there's anybody, maybe, you know, one or two that you would say, oh, I could, I could kind of see that comparison?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I have an answer for it. Um, oh, Stumper. <laughs> I, I, that, I, I'm like thinking about it because there are characters such as like – like I think Fitz in terms of a, he keeps doing stupid things and you want to hit him mm-hmm. for keep doing these stupid things is very reminiscent of what Michael does. But Fitz is too good. Like, Fitz is someone who's always trying to do good, where Michael is not not always trying to do good. He thinks he's doing good, but he's not. Um, Oh, I really don't know if I have an answer. I think maybe one of the closest comparisons I can make are characters like the Torturer from, like, the Book of the New Sun, where the Torturer is not a – he's not a really good person, but he kind of gets stuck in certain endeavors where you're like, oh, I get what you're doing um but i don't oh man that's a great question i i'm completely stumped i'm gonna have to, i'm gonna be thinking about this for like hours after this
0: <laughs> you can always get back to me and i'm just waiting for like that tweet <laughs> to come out be like yeah. hey you remember that question four hours ago <laughs> i'll, I'll you put it like a day you'll be like i got your answer now <laughs> <laughs> uh well, you can think about it the next time you get it, you get asked so uh Um, all right. So what are, uh, what are you working on now? I mean, I'm assuming I guess going through edits of book two, maybe even book
1: three. Yeah. So I'm currently working on book two. Um, I'm doing edits. My editor got back to me and I'm just going through edits. Um, probably close to finishing edits for book two, but I'm also like decently into book three. I'm probably, I'm over a hundred thousand words into book three, uh, which is not bad considering it's not due for like another maybe six months or eight months. I don't remember what the date is. Um, so I'm, I'm progressing pretty strongly on it. Um, I'm excited where things are going and it's just kind of like, oh man, how many terrible things can I do to my characters today?
0: Okay. All right. So um, do you have an idea of where you want to go after this trilogy? I mean, I know it's super early, but you have to have some, I guess, idea of, all right, once I'm done with this, I'm going to do this. Are you going to stay in fantasy? You want to move to science fiction?
1: Um, I'll probably stay in fantasy. Um, I have this other story I pitched my agent back when it just had like a single chapter that he really liked. I've been playing a lot, a lot around with on my spare time, um, that I, I can't talk about because I haven't sold it. But oh, it's yeah. uh, it was like I, th- I said this a few times, but it was it was a response to something I saw in fantasy, um, that I'm really excited to kind of play around with. That um, the protagonist of that is there's two protagonists of it in that story and they're both very different people that you're not, you're going to want to root for, but can't root for at the same time. And it kind of deals with the subjects of like immortality and death. I guess okay. is the that's saying too much about it. I'm really excited to write it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we
1: look forward to getting
0: to it. Um. All right. So uh, any, any book recommendations of anything you've read lately? Uh, that maybe the audience can look forward to or even if anything in the past, say, six, eight months that you've read that, uh, that you give a shout out to?
1: Um, I finished, maybe it was a few days ago, maybe last week, the Southern Book Club Slang vampires. Uh-huh. And it was brilliant by Grady Hendrix. Adored it. Uh, it's horror, but it was so good. The dialogue was so snappy. The characters – were so well-written um, and to give it like a quick pitch is it's essentially a housewife versus a vampire. <laughs> 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 it, it, I think it just came out today as, as we're recording this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it' great, amazing, can't recommend it enough. Um, I've been reading a little more horror recently um, because my that. second book leans more towards horror okay. a little bit and fantasy. So I've been reading a bunch of Joe Hill, um and other kind of more horror stuff. I'm really excited for the the only good Indians to come oh, out soon. It's so good. Ah, uh, I've heard uh, only good things about it. I'm like, I can't wait to read it,
0: dude. Uh, like, if you get an opportunity, move it up your up your list. It is fantastic. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones is amazing. I don't know if you've listened to that podcast chat, but it's great. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I was I was
1: listening with very dafty <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and he's got a new novella coming out from Tor in um is it in July night at the Man nine of the mannequins? Um, oh, I think I've heard it. Heard yeah. It's, it's really, really good too. I mean, it's about, a it's like 130 pages or so, but I, I did like a, a tiny little blurb on, uh, on Goodreads, but it's, it's really good. It, it kind of starts out completely different than what you're expecting. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it, I, I don't want to spoil it, but it's really good.
1: Um, okay. I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. And, I, and I've, and I've, uh, i actually got, a, a copy of uh, the Southern book clubs guide to sling vampires coming. I I, I don't know if you're familiar with the nightworms uh, that are on Twitter. It's, it's kind of like they do um, like book club readings and they also do like these little shipments of books of like of books of the month. Um, okay. And they did a, a package that's got uh, Tim Levins Eden, which I just reviewed uh, for Titan. And then uh, uh, the Southern book clubs guide to slaying vampires in it um, kind of like as a little duo book box okay. uh and, I, cool. and, I, and i'm hoping to get that here pretty soon because i really want to read grady hendrick his newest because i actually haven't read any by hand but all i keep hearing are great things about all his books so
1: this was actually his first his, uh, the first book i read from him too and i was like i said i thought it was amazing yeah. i read it in maybe two days maybe a day and a half but I, I enjoyed it immensely
0: okay any uh any other any other things you've read here recently you said some joe hill what uh what'd you read by joe hill
1: Oh, I read his a bunch of his short story collections, that the name is escaping me. I read almost entirely all his short story collections.
0: Is that a Full Throttle and 20th Century Ghosts?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've read I read Full I've read um Full Throttle once already, but like I said I've been kind of reading more horror recently. Um to kind of give me the idea of how really good authors have been pulling it off. Um so I've been reread that, but you know, it's still amazing as the first time I read it. Yeah, uh, and I think Strange Weather is the other one yeah. by him I just yeah. read. I think yep. like, that's
0: like the it's like the four novella. Yep, yep. Series. Um,
1: uh, I'm trying to think of some amazing. more
0: that you need to you need to get to. Um, hmm, some good horror. Uh, I mean anything that's coming out right now by uh, Silver Shamrock or Guys Press. Um, they're putting okay. a lot of like kind of like in. Kind of indie-ish horror, but it's it's really good stuff. Uh, Keelan Patrick Burke's a really good one if you want some really good like unsettling horror. Um, he's a uh, he self-publishes all his and does his own covers okay. and stuff. Um, but if, if you want a really good kind of quick read, the first one that hooked me on him was uh, it's called Sour Candy. It's a Sour novella. Um, okay. It's phenomenal. Like I I think I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, and I think it's like two or three bucks on Kindle. Um,
1: okay I'll definitely check it out
0: yeah for sure but uh yeah um, i uh i'm actually in the middle of reading kingdom of Liars. um and uh so I, I should have something to you for sam i'm finishing up the ranger of marzana by John Scaverin and i'm about to start jeremy's debut
1: it's uh stormblood's really good Stormblood, i yeah. read it a few months ago and I really enjoyed it
0: yeah he uh he asked because we we moved up his uh, his chat like a month uh, just because everybody has plenty of time now. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so he was like, um, are you going to be able to read the book by then? I'm like, I hope so. So I mean, I've got like 11 days to read it now. So I'm like, man, why do I have to read so many thick books at the same time? Because <laughs> his definitely isn't short. Yours is not short. And Ranger Barzana is not short. I'm like, I really need to like figure out like reading a couple of really short books along with one or two thick ones, but um, but yeah, so I've got a, I feel like I've got a lot of good reading ahead of me. So
1: oh yeah, I, I fully understand. I think the the next book I'm gonna do is uh, the uh, third James Islington book. Uh, and the name escapes uh, it, Light of All oh, the Falls. Thank you. Uh, yeah, his is my his is book is my next probably read, and it's let's just say it's thick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love T H I C C thick,
1: <laughs> but it's, it's a, you know, it's thick. Yeah. Um, I had to get, I had to get a quick read before I, before I started that, but, but I'm really excited to see the end of the trilogy. I gotcha.
0: Yeah. That's, that's when I need to start. Yeah. I'm sitting here like looking across my bookshelves, just like, I'm like, Oh gosh, I really need to read that. I really need to read that. So like, I, I hadn't read any like of, uh, Sam Sykes books until seven blades in black came out last mm-hmm. year from orbit. And, uh, I went ahead and got his uh, first trilogy from them, uh, which the name of the trilogy is. So it starts with the uh, City Stained Red, yeah. And uh, I, I had gone back and bought a copy of his first book that came out years ago called Infinity for Steel. And if you want to talk about a thick book, it t- I feel like it takes up a quarter of a bookshelf. <laughs> it's so long. And I think it's. I think it's a few books kind of like uh, thrown together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting here like looking and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, I don't feel like I read short books at all.
1: No, I, I, I completely understand these. Like I'm looking at my bookshelf too. And I'm like, man, I still gotta start dark age. And that's another hefty book. I haven't read Priory of the orange tree and that's a, another hefty book. I'm really excited to read both of them, but I'm like, man, it's like a relationship sometimes. Yeah. When I start <laughs>
0: It's like it's like oh gosh I'm really gonna put time to this yeah so in Infinity for Steel it's an omnibus it's called the Aeon's Gate Omnibus it's fourteen hundred and seventy two pages
1: ooh ooh that yeah that's a doorstop yeah that's uh,
0: <laughs> that's like if I actually had time during this pandemic that I would read it. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, I think
1: that classifies as a weapon in some areas. It does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could probably I could probably kill a few small people with it. Um <laughs> I, I don't I don't kill children, but maybe like people that are shorter than me. Um, I could probably do it with, but um you know man, like I, like I said kind of when we were off air, I could probably literally talk to you all day. Um yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talked a little bit about video games off air and we could sit here and talk about books all day and all night and through the weekend. But um, it's really been an awesome time uh, getting to chat with you about the kingdom of liars and about uh, kind of how you, how you've gotten to where you are now with, with writing and uh, you know, learning English as a second language. I love that one down. Yeah, you're not going to uh, cause it's cause it's going to go in the, in the podcast notes. Um, but, uh, but guys, everybody that's listening in uh, you can find, Nick on Twitter at Mac Martell. Um, you can also find him on Instagram at Nick Martell official. Uh, and just so you know, uh, he has already reiterated me that he's really bad at social media. Um, but he, he is an interesting follow when he is on. Um, you can also find his website. Nickmartell.com. And as far as the kingdom of liars. So with COVID comes delays, unfortunately, but uh, the good news is, is in the U S on May 5th, uh, the Kingdom, was, Kingdom of Liars will be out in ebook and audio, and the hardcover will be released on June twenty third, which is the day after my birthday. So if anybody wants to buy me a comic for my birthday, have at it, um, hey, sounds like or you birthday. know buy one for yourself and one for me, that works. Uh, and then uh, if you're in the UK, uh, all the versions will be re- released on May seventh. So you are you know lucky dogs in that regard. So um, but yeah, so Kingdom of Liars... If you like reading on ebook, May 5th, if you like listening to audiobook, May 5th, that one's coming from recorded books. Uh, And then, you know, if you just have to have a hardcover, which everybody loves to smell the new hardcover, June 23rd. But, uh, Nick, we're definitely looking forward to it and the continuation of the series and uh, finding out just uh, who Michael Kingman is and uh, why you decided to write him. (laughs) And and, yeah, if there's uh, anything else you want to add, feel free.
1: No, thanks for having me on
0: for sure, man. It's, it's been great. Let's uh, let's do this again.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Have a good one, man. You too.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Nick Martell. Uh, stay tuned tomorrow. Uh, I'm actually going to be chatting with very well-known fantasy author, Nicholas Eames. Uh, where we talk about his series, The Band, which includes book one Kings of the Wild and book two Bloody Rose uh, two of my favorite books over the past couple of years. Definitely looking forward to chatting with him. Uh, and then on the 9th, uh, so the next day, because so I'm doing these three days in a row, chatting with Ryan Van Lone about his debut, The Sin and the Steel, uh, coming from Tor Books here in just a couple of months. Uh, so, yeah, definitely stay tuned for some fantasy goodness. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys are staying safe out there. Thanks.